working in video games. What could be better? He's here to tell you what. It's Behind the Line Radio with your host, Kinetic. And it starts now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Line Radio. I'm your host, Kinetic, and joining me today, I have my announcer, Dave. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. <laughs> it's not quite your normal speaking voice, but pretty close to your announcing voice. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little sick, so it's not the best either way. Yeah, may- maybe maybe I need to have you record a few more lines with your post-sick voice when it's deeper and more awesome. <laughs> right. It's got Enthusiac's own version of epic movie voice guy from, uh, what is it, the, the Honest Trailers? Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Anyhow. This is Behind the Line Radio, where we're here to talk about things from behind the production line, as it were, for various entertainment we enjoy, mostly video games, because most of the people I know are working in video games, because I work in video games. And today, we're going to talk about the recent story where Sony tried to trademark the term Let's Play. I wrote about this last week and made some thoughts about how things are going to go, and right after the article came out, it was announced that the... uh, U.S. Uh, Trade and Patent Office basically completely smacked it down, and it's not going to happen. Sony's not going to be able to copyright the term Let's Play uh, because they've determined it's a generic term, which instinctually pretty much all of us knew was going was the case. Um, Dave, do you have any initial thoughts on the topic? Um, yeah, I'm not surprised either that they didn't, they weren't able to actually. Um, get a patent or a trademark on it just because uh, the same things as you talk about, it's just so generic. It's too generic to get anything. I'm kind of surprised that they even tried. It seems like it was just too too generic. like <laughs> Too blatantly generic? Yeah, like I, I, I just kind of get the impression that they wouldn't even want to waste the money on it. But I guess for them it's a drop in the bucket. Yeah, that's why I kind of guessed that this was just a shot in the dark, maybe toss something over the fence and see if it works. Yeah, yeah, and I'm my guess is that they'll probably riff on it a little bit, right? You know, like, <laughs> let's play Sony or something like that, you know? <laughs> uh, something Maybe give something a little irreverent at a press conference in the future, a little like they had with the, here's how you share a game on PS4, and they just hand them the disc. <laughs> was that from E3 a couple years ago when they were oh. lampooning Xboxes? Oh yeah, yeah. weird, always on DRM thing. Thank God they got rid of that. <laughs> I actually, I actually worked with a guy who was really upset that Microsoft backed down from that. I mean, that was that's a whole different conversation, right? Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad that Microsoft took the stance they did, but you know, what is Microsoft's tagline? I don't know. I don't even know if Xbox has one. Uh, the Connect is always watching. <laughs> I see all. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it, it wasn't a shock that it got smacked down. Uh, I when I was thinking about it, I just kind of applied Occam's razor to it. It seems a whole lot like the kind of thing where they see this is something that they might be able to put a stamp on in some like industry official thing we can have a sony let's play channel Mm -hmm. and they just want to use it that way and it really strikes me as the kind of thing where they wouldn't really 
they shouldn't want to, I would hope they wouldn't want to start trying to monetize or shut down YouTubers who are putting up Let's Plays. Because that would just turn public opinion against them real fast and real hard. Yeah, but large corporations like that, they don't really have that sense, do they? A lot of them, I don't think, are thinking about, oh, the little guy that's running their own podcast or something. They just kind of come in like a bull in a china shop, spend a lot of money on something, and then just go from there. And I think that it's just kind of the way they operate. It's unfortunate for for them and for the little guy. Uh, I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me that a company would operate that way. You see a lot of very successful companies who are drive, driven on, you know, customer satisfaction and trying to be a, you know, don't be evil type of situation like Google, for example. Um, I don't really know how evil Google is one way or another, but, um, you know, when it comes to whatever patent or trademarks that they they put on things, they're going to go after everybody once they get the chance. Mm. It's just the way that those companies operate. I mean, they didn't. Sony certainly didn't change their stance at all when it came to music DRM or anything like that. They're just coming at you, and mm. they want their money. And if you're if you're not on point. the same side, you're in trouble, right? Yeah, I when I was considering it, I wasn't thinking about Sony as the multimedia empire. I was just thinking of the um, video game arm of the larger Sony uh, entity. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that's what their patent would apply to. But but yeah, like they're they're a big company world, yeah. worldwide. They're gonna they're gonna really be aggressive with those type of things. Yeah, because um, I mean we both have experience with with various sizes of companies. Mm-hmm. Certainly neither of us as large as Sony. Um, but, uh, in my experience, at least at, at, uh, the size of places that I've been at, there tends to be a fair amount of focus on customer satisfaction, you know, customer sentiment towards your, uh, outfit, uh, cause that's something you really don't want to burn. Yeah. And that's, that's why I had considered that, uh, Sony probably didn't want to do that. But again, as you pointed out, if it, if it was from the larger thing and they wanted to brand all video content uh let's play as a sony property and that went from above the video game arm then they might have that might be where in the corporate structure you start losing track of the consumer yeah yeah exactly and it's very easy to do that once a company gets a certain size i mean when i was at electronic arts they really pushed the idea that you know they were looking out for the customer and in the early 2000s at least Coming from the from the inside, I could see where it was kind of a mixed bag. They there was definitely a lot of uh, uh, lip service paid towards customer service and making sure the customer is taken care of. But then at the time, EA was one of the most hated companies on the planet for some reason. And at I think the time, it, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't think they're still in that same. But it was pretty bad back then, just because of the way that. They were gobbling up companies and then putting out games that most gamers thought were pretty low quality. <laughs> well, they, they also had like two years in a row. Was it the previous two years? I don't know if they weren't the winner the most recent time, if it happened yet. But, you know, won a, an award for worst company in America two years in a row recently here. Yeah, I think that's actually worst company in the world to work for. And I'm pretty sure that the one, uh, the company that won it last year was Comcast. Ah. <laughs> well, still, it's uh, the e- yeah, because 
EA has a, a, a tough a tough road to hoe with public perception uh, because there can be a lot of sincere efforts to try to um, treat the customers well with respect, to make them happy, but something that's completely unrelated to you, unrelated to your project, winds up happening so crappy that it pisses everybody off and it bleeds over to you because it's all under the EA umbrella. Yeah. Yeah. And that 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 goes to what you were saying again about size. And I think some of that is also because if you're in a really small organization, everybody has some visibility into what everybody else is doing. And once you get big enough, that no longer becomes possible. It's just not feasible to keep everybody in tune with everything. And you wind up getting disconnected. And eventually you're going to have leadership that's disconnected from the consumer unless there's a lot of effort put into counteracting that tear. Yeah. And the interesting thing is just how it can be really, and you know, obviously I've never run a company like very large. I've never been too high up on the food chain in terms of you know, uh, where the company stands, but it's very easy to feel disconnected from uh, leadership and companies just because sometimes they make decisions and you just think to yourself like, really like really <laughs> and it's kind of like the let's play thing i just i'm not shocked at all it wouldn't go through and you have to be thinking okay wh- who did they pay to come up with that slogan and then everybody was at the top nodding thinking yeah we can get that no problem <laughs> it's uh, yeah you're you're really turning me to that uh line of thinking there it's uh might be a another bit of a case of the left hand not knowing quite what the right was doing, and it, the uh, actually it, it parallels a lot of stuff with government where they say you know something happened and we we couldn't put the dots together. Well, it's, if something's big enough, it's actually really hard to put the dots together because you're not exactly sure who you have to ask to make sure you know everything that you need to know to make this decision. Yeah, it's actually tricky. It's uh. One one thing I keep saying is bureaucracy is a wonderful thing until you notice it because bureaucracy is the kind of thing that lets a large group of people work as a unit. And that's the kind of thing that if everything is put in place really well, then those kinds of communication gaps don't happen so often or aren't as bad. Yeah. But uh, on the flip side, once you notice it, it means it's intruding on you and slowing you down. Yeah, it's an interesting way of thinking of things. Uh, if you think of bureaucracy as kind of rules gone too far, maybe, you know, when a company is set up in such a way where there are a lot of rules in order to make it run smoothly, and then those rules start getting in the way of things, then it becomes bureaucracy. Hmm. It kind of actually ties back into uh, the idea of patent law itself, because if you look at copyright law, patent law, um, a lot of people argue that it is a bureaucracy that steals away creativity just because, you know, you get people who are trying to manipulate it uh, specifically for monetary purposes. You got patent trolls out there who are patenting things just to make money off of it, just to sue other companies. And it, it's it's like clearly I got here first. Therefore, I own it. Therefore, this thing that actually existed before I filed paperwork owes me money. It's It's not even that. It's. Hey, somebody else has this patent. I'm going to buy it because, you know, they're not they're not using it or suing anybody. And then once we have that patent, we're going to apply it to anything we can and then sue everybody. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's crazy, you know. It's even more vexatious. Yeah, it's 
You're starting to make me think you're evil because you're better at imagining evil things to do than I am. Oh, I don't imagine these things. These are real things. I, I just, you know, listen to NPR occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And, and there's other ways that that goes, too, not just patent trolls, but also the people who start manipulating the law to their benefit to hold on to their intellectual property so it won't enter public license, Disney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. That's crazy. God, could you imagine what would happen to Disney if all Mickey their... Mickey Mouse went public license? Yeah, that, it's just crazy to think how much money that they would lose because of that. Yeah. Uh, it we're clearly at a point where, in my opinion, the laws kind of weren't written in a way that keep that had in mind the way business and marketing and intellectual property have kind of turned out. Yeah, it's it's more along the lines of, hey, uh, I wrote this book, I get all the proceeds for this book, and then I die, and eventually it'll go into public license, and anyone can use the characters, print the book, or whatever, because I've mm-hmm. got mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And now you've got, you know, uh, publishers who own the rights to the book and sell it again and again and again. And I don't know, is that right? Is that wrong? Then you got Disney's use of Mickey Mouse and all of their intellectual properties and characters. I mean, they're still using them. Yeah, yeah. It's, it go, it, it, it's now an entity, again, a larger entity. The use is constant. It isn't owned by a single person. And it sort of goes with everybody associated with the organization. I mean, it benefits them all. Can you say that they lose their ownership of this intellectual property when they've been actively using it? Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's not it's not straightforward. No, and it's uh, it's another one of those things where the law will have to evolve with the times to make sure yeah. that it is appropriate. And, you know, when it comes push comes to shove, I'm as much in favor of uh fair use and uh, things becoming public after a certain amount of time. But I just don't think it would make sense for, for, for Disney to lose that type of license because yeah, they are actively using it all the time and you can see that being used for hundreds of years beyond right now. Yeah. Um, Or video games, some video games are starting to get pretty venerable. They, I'm not sure what the time limit is for, uh, for things to go into public domain. I'm going to look that up right I th- now. I think it's 100 years. 100 um, years. And then, of course, there's also weird things that are in public domain that you wouldn't have expected. Like um, uh, Night of the Living Dead is public domain because when they made the movie, there was a legal sn- snafu. And <laughs> they didn't credit it properly. So oh, wow. the moment it was released, it was actually public domain. <laughs> wow. Hey, let's go make a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Let's, uh, let, let's make Night of the Living Dead. I'm trying to think what the oldest video game like property would be. I guess Mario, right? Um, I mean, would you go Asteroids, Dig Dug, Popeye? Yeah, true. Donkey no. Kong. Um, I mean, there's stuff that's older, but Mario would be one of the earliest, most recognizable ones. What one that is still being used actively, also. Yeah. You know, like going along the Mickey Mouse side of things. Hmm. I mean, I think Donkey Kong predates. Um, I know. Yeah. Uh, you know, Pac-Man. Uh-huh. Yep. That one's still used. Hmm. That's another good one. I don't know, but it. I'm thinking of Atari games now, and I just, 
I just wanted to say that I love the game Canyon Bomber. <laughs> Canyon Bomber. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I loved that game so much when I was a kid. What what did that one do? I don't think I've ever heard of that one. Oh, Canyon Bomber was real easy. It was just a bunch of pixels on the screen. You had a plane that would fly up, fly across it, and it would drop bombs. And as the bomb would go through the pixels, it would destroy them pretty much in a straight line down. And mm. you were just trying to get rid of all the pixels. <laughs> ah. Interesting. I used to love Simple. It. It's an Atari style thing. Yeah, totally. <clears throat> I, one, of, one of my favorite old Atari games was uh, Combat. Oh, yeah. The tank game. Oh, that was awesome. It, it had planes, too. And they had that thing where like you could be a formation of three planes or this big bomber or... I can't even remember what what the point of being the bomber was. It just seems like a bigger target. But I mean, I haven't played it in, geez, twenty five years. So yeah, probably more than that. You just have vague recollections. Yeah. Of how that went. That was a great game, though. Yeah, yeah. The the rules for rebounding the uh, tank shells off the walls, if you wanted to. Yeah. Yep. I played a lot of that game with my brother. <laughs> Yeah, my brother, my my older brother had an Atari, and uh, he was actually the ones who uh, got all the way through the old. Uh, and the angry video game nerd complained about this one a bunch. Um, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, I never played that. Yeah, apparently it was really obtuse and confusing. But uh, oh, Pitfall, Pitfall is pretty old too. Oh yeah, Pitfall. Have and they that, made that, that occasionally games? gets releases? Yeah, I'm trying to think when the last Pitfall game was. See, we can bring it back to the topic. <laughs> it's funny you were talking about, uh, in the email you sent me, talking about the big game, right? Because the Super Bowl is so, <laughs> like, they're so needy about the way that people use the word Super Bowl that they'll just, you know, guard it so much. Um, it made me think, um, driving south like going from san francisco to santa clara where the super bowl is there's a video billboard that's up and it's a two-panel video billboard and it's uh uh it's actually a sony ad and it says ready for the big game and then the (laughs) next one says us too and it's an uncharted ad (laughs) it's really cool it's got like you know the uncharted guy up there and you know, doing his thing on the us two thing and, you know, just kind of flips it like, Oh yeah, you're going to go watch some super bowl. Well, Hey, we're about to release this game. So when you're done with that, play this. <laughs> oh man, maybe they'll have a super bowl commercial because people really watch the super bowl for the game anymore. I know. Yeah. Well, I mean, past couple, there's been some really good ones. I have kind of stopped paying attention, but I would, NFL was never exactly my thing in the first place. Did you ever play uh, Madden? Uh, ever so little. Mm. I played. I played it with a friend in like high school for a bit, um, but not a ton. Mostly, I tried to sack the quarterback, and that was about it. <laughs> and uh, he he did most of the work. I just tried to sack the quarterback and block him after a pass. Yeah. <laughs> was it one of? Uh, I think it was a Dreamcast game where there was some flaw in the logic where you could have one person running another person kind of running interference for him, and you wind up with kind of the entire team behind the second guy trying to tackle the first guy who has the ball. (laughs) Oh, man. Exploits. So much fun. And, hey, speaking of NFL and trademark stuff, there was the whole um, EA NFL exclusivity. Oh, yeah. That's right. All the weirdness that came from that. And that's another example of, well... 
that's kind of EA. Well, that's the, a lot of people give a lot of flack to EA for that one. When that's my understanding is that was the NFL decided to sell exclusive rights and EA chose to buy it. Yeah. Rather than EA soliciting to have exclusive rights. I, you know, that's interesting. I'd never heard that. But all I, what I'm used to hearing is the story of uh, Quarterback Club, I think it was, was actually starting to make inroads into their market share just because. I think, I think it was 2K. Yeah, it was 2K. That's it. Uh, okay. NFL 2K. Um, yeah, because they sold it at that $20 price point. Yeah. And everybody was sweeping it up and they're like, hey, this is a really good game and just eating into their market share. And so they bought the player's license. Like, hey, you can have a great game, but there's not going to be an, an, any NFL players in it. <coughs> Whammo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, uh, and uh, that's another example of how that did kind of uh, turn some public opinion against EA, but I don't think it stopped anyone from buying the Madden franchise. Nope. So, I mean, at the same time, you know, business got a business. Yep, it didn't so, hurt their stock price either. Stock price went up after that. Well, yeah, then you're going to have investors. And that's another weird thing about just kind of business in general is how your stock price doesn't always reflect customer sentiment. Yeah, you know, that's... Uh, you, you, can, you can be cashing in by burning away sentiment, and that'll make your stock price go up because that's sort of the investors who are further not necessarily connected with the consumers. Yeah, that's my pet peeve. My One of my big pet peeves about the stock market, just in general, the idea of the stock market is that it's not based on, it's not really ever based, well, I shouldn't say it's not based on reality, but that's the way it feels because your stock price is so much uh, uh, really predicated on what investors think about your stock, what about your stock and where your growth is going to be. And if you're not growing, then you're not a stock that somebody wants to, to buy. Hmm. You know, it doesn't allow for natural growth, doesn't allow for a lot of, you know, for roller coasters, ups and downs. If your company does poorly and people are just like, well, they've gotten as big as they can get, nobody wants it because they don't think it's going to continue to make any more money than it already is. Stocks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's uh, all kinds of ways that uh, things can, can go kind of weird when you're looking at a certain topic from all of the different angles that actually apply. And with video games, most players don't ever really consider anything other than I'm the player and this is the organization that's giving me the game. And oftentimes they don't realize that there's, say, a difference between the developer and the publisher. Yeah. And oftentimes there's going to be different investors. And then you can mix in something like Kickstarter and people have kind of warped perceptions about how that fits into things. Not not everybody has a warped perception, but it lends itself to having that kind of warping effect on how people look at it, where you think, I am purchasing the game, rather than, I am investing in this development project, and I hope it pans out, and then they can give me the game. Yeah. As a thank you for having invested in the project. Yeah, working very closely on a, um, a couple freemium games, and dealing directly with customers uh, through our customer support team. It's it's always interesting to, to, you know, kind of see that other side of, you know, the consumer who just doesn't have any idea what goes into a game or how to make a game. And just to think that, you know, the assumptions that they make are sometimes very, very wild. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. you know, they're oh, to them it's always very personal. 
And one thing that I've learned from that is that you have to treat you have to try and treat every customer as as good as possible. Like if you have one vocal customer, it can really do damage to your brand. And mm. you want all your customers to be happy all the time. And you, it's like a it's like one of those never ending battles that you never really win. But you can do really good work. <laughs> and yeah. uh, listening to your customers is extremely important. And you just got to keep doing it yeah, every if day. One, if one goes bad, they start turning toxic. And if they turn toxic and start that, you know, toxicity starts spreading into the community. I mean, a lot of uh, game makers and projects have forums. And if they start turning people into an unruly mob, I mean, there ain't no justice like angry mob justice. Yeah, absolutely. And they're going to start getting their pitchforks out and start coming after you. And I mean, you mentioned freemium. A whole lot of people don't exactly, like I said, business got a business and they, they think, that, oh man, any free-to-play is inherently greedy when making money in free-to-play is really hard. It is really hard, it's, yeah. It's the fastest way to lose everything. Yeah, pretty much. It is very hard to make money. But, you know, a lot of those guys, they're the, a lot of those customers, they do have it right. Hey, you better treat me well or I'm going to leave. And yeah. they know that, you know, they've got us by the balls. Like, we don't have any <laughs> option other than to treat them well. But, you know, Especially... That's, Especially if they're, I I hate the term whales oh, yeah. in, in the free-to-play space. I prefer the term VIP because, uh-huh. you know, the same concept exists in other industries and they're called VIPs. They're yeah, but- called something dehumanizing and dismissive like whale or dolphin or otter or whatever other sea mammal <laughs> that you choose to use as a metaphor for labeling these people. Uh, by that definition, I guess the people who don't pay are urchins. <laughs> not a mammal. <laughs> well, whatever. Anyway, whales <laughs> is derivative of the gamblers who are also called whales. Ah, that's that's where that comes from. At least and, there's an origin to it, but still, I prefer VIP. It's just more respectful. It definitely, yeah. I think that what ends up happening is, you know, one way or another, user facing uh, the term whale doesn't exist. So, uh, you know, if when we're dealing with in my game, if we're dealing with people who are whales, we never call them that. Because right. if we called them a whale, they would have no idea what it meant, right? So, nine times, oh, or they'd ten, be very insulted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so nine times out of ten, we end up calling them VIPs, just like you, like you said, and it's definitely a more respectful term. But yeah, it's like those guys. They know. They know that they're spending a lot of money, and they know that that they have a real voice. And then usually, in where I work, they actually have a. Um, there are lines that they can they can you know, have more direct access to customer support. Um, And we try and treat all of our customers equally, but those guys, they get guys and girls, they get, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of traction when they're, when they, when they talk. Yeah. I, yeah, I, that's another thing that, that kind of can get lost in translation when going to a user where if you have someone who, and, and, mm, I don't want to overuse the comparison to gambling because it's not the same thing. There, there are similarities that you can draw, though. So if you have someone who is of their own volition choosing to invest in this product that is a, um, you know, a free-to-play game, it's a server-bound product, and they choose to spend money on it, um, not through any addictive behavior, not through anything that is predatory on the game service provider, 
it stands to reason that if they spend a certain amount of money, they are entitled to a higher class of service. Because mm-hmm. if you have someone, one of the big tricks is, you know, some technical glitch happens and during a purchase and someone didn't get their stuff. Well, if you've never made a purchase before, then they the, the service provider may not be able to tell, for example, if this is a legitimate claim. Mm-hmm. It can be hard to tell because, you know, it's all on the server. Something went wrong, clearly, so maybe something isn't noted correctly. Uh, otherwise, you would have received whatever you purchased. Um, so maybe, you know, give them five bucks. But if they keep asking, then something gets weird. However, if someone has spent $300 in your game and they say these three $5 purchases failed, you would have no reason to doubt them. You know they spent this money. Why would they try to nickel and dime you at that point? Yep. And if they're continuing to spend money, why would you do something to upset them? Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, you say treating, uh, trying to treat all of the customers equally, um, but uh, sometimes certain realities are, you know, you can't say everyone who made three five dollar purchases and failed, you can't just hand it out to everybody because they, you know, they're. You maybe treat them equal in a certain sense, but you can't treat them equal on the global sense because the positions that they're starting from aren't equal. Exactly. Business. So you're treating, you're not necessarily treating them equally, but you are trying to treat them fairly. Fairly. Yep. Business has got a business, like you yep. said. It's it's it can get really frustrating sometimes when reading uh, comments for me at least under certain news articles like oh my god this is mobile garbage or oh my god free to play is so terrible it's a bane on the industry and you turn around and be like yeah team fortress 2 <laughs> every, every nobody minds that oh but it was implemented differently whatever yeah it's uh i think it's one of those things that started off pretty small and just kind of like blew up all of a sudden from mobile to other gaming types and the style of game that you're going to do is going to be successful or a failure uh, based on the game, not on the style itself, right? You can have hundreds of first-person shooters, but first-person shooter that doesn't fit as a first-person shooter, like, you know, My Little Pony first-person shooter may not be the best <laughs> first-person shooter in the world, <laughs> you know? But, like, the fiction weird. fits. You know, they could actually be pretty good. But <laughs> you know, what would make a better if you're going to have an old licensed, uh, an old licensed property as a first-person shooter. It'd probably be better to be the Care Bears because you'd be shooting at your Care Bear stare. <laughs> oh, and yeah. we bring it back to licensing. <laughs> yeah, I never would have thought that we'd be talking about Care Bears. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, going back to licensing. There's also a number of weird ways that things can play out in the courts that, I mean, we're talking about the perception that consumers have. Something like the whole saga thing between King and the Banner Saga developer, mm-hmm. where, again, it, it's a little hard to tell for certain what was going on uh, with King. Because we weren't there and there can be these disconnects like we talked about. But uh, the way I see it, the way I, I've been accused of being a Pollyanna before and just being a little overly optimistic or having too much faith in other people. But uh, I'm inclined to think that that whole instance was King making more of a symbolic push to sort of put their foot down and be like, 
behind the scenes, I'd say, I know this isn't going to fly because it's ridiculous, but we've got so much involved in trying to make this saga thing a brand and a franchise. We need to put out that we're actually going to protect it. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of agree there. Um, I think they actually, they have, they've got more of a leg to stand on than this let's play business though. Um, yeah, it's, well, it's <laughs> just because let's play is pretty firmly established. Yeah. <laughs> but like the way that they, consistently use their name throughout their and this is part of the whole trademark thing right like whenever you try and get that there's all these proofs that you have to put in front of it right like you've established it you've been using it across multiple forms of media you know it's it in order to create a brand that way you actually have to use it in the in those ways so um they had been using it in so many ways and it and you know it ends up being one of those things where if you if you end up using something in a certain way long enough that it just kind of might tip the scales one way or the other, right? Yeah, you, you're trying to associate it with yourself. And like you said, they had been using it to the point where if you looked at a game and saw Saga, the uh, uh, something Saga, mm-hmm. you know, Candy Crush Saga, Candy Crush Soda Saga, Papa Pear Saga, Pet Rescue Saga. Yep. Uh, there's a few others that I'm not thinking of, but that is, and that's the definition of a trademark. Uh, uh, it is to protect a symbol that indicates the source of a good or service. Mm-hmm. And in this case, the quote <clears throat> saga unquote was supposed to be somewhat synonymous with this line of games that King produced. Yep. So that was, that makes sense. They need to have something that says, look, if someone's going to go out there and try to, ape on this bubble witch saga that was another one uh you know saga brand that we're trying to generate uh we're gonna you know try to protect what we're trying to make even though the banner saga wasn't exactly a prosecutable instance it's funny when it's funny that that can go too far too right with the branding when your brand becomes synonymous with the thing that it represents to such to a point that there is no other that people confuse it, right? Like, so whenever you say Jello, for example, <laughs> like nobody says gelatin, they just say Jello. It's like it's like you know, when I was in the South, people wouldn't say, you know, what kind of soda do you want or what kind of kind of pop would you want? They would say, what kind of Coke would you want? So you'd go to the store, you'd order, and you'd say, you know. I'd like a Coke. And they'd say, what kind? <laughs> and you'd say Sprite or Coke or something like that. Pepsi. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like a Pepsi Coke, please. What kind of Coke you want? Pepsi. All right. <laughs> oh, Kleenex, you know, right? Like Kleenex is like that. Nobody yep. says, hey, give me a facial tissue. <laughs> yeah. Or Xerox. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Jeep. Yeah. And the... Um, that was one of the things that I, I, I considered writing about, but it didn't quite fit into my article last week. I, I think those are called uh, genericized tra- trademarks. They're technically still owned by someone, but they, they kind of enter the public lexicon as a generic term. Yeah. Or Band-Aid. That's another one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Adhesive medical strip. <laughs> Bandage. <laughs> technically, I think bandage is a different thing. I guess so, yeah. It's not adhesive at all. So all kinds of weird, wild, and wooly stuff happens when you start mixing law with uh, a rapidly changing, rapidly evolving, and yet very young and creative industry. 
in video games. That's why, you know, I learned that if you pay enough attention to any one thing, because you're paying so much attention to it, all of these little peripheral things start coming into play when you're paying attention at that level. So you start picking up things about law or uh, video editing or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's it's if, if you live, eat, breathe, and sleep one industry, all of this stuff kind of starts coming with it. Yep. Part of the fun of it, right? Always something to learn. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, you know... We both start. Yeah, you started in console too, right? Uh, technically, I started in PC. Okay, so not exactly the same, but uh, similar. I mean, video games more or less started with computers, and then you had your dedicated consoles, and then it kind of goes back and forth. You say, "Oh, the console is dead." Oh, PC gaming is dead. Oh, the console <laughs> gaming is dead. And you know, after the past like two or three revs of that, I'm like, I'm not gonna bet on anything dying anymore. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, even even if you get to the point where you say, "Oh, your dedicated home console connected to the TV isn't much of a thing anymore," well, guess guess what? Another platform showed up, and it was the mobile. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's not going away, and and yeah. And we're diversifying too. Got more coming up uh, with yep. uh, virtual reality. Pretty soon, that's going to be its own platform. Possibly, man. I, I, I'm not exactly sure what to expect from VR as a platform or a peripheral or what. But uh, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I've always thought the Virtual Boy wasn't so much a bad idea as it was just way too damn far ahead of its time. Yeah, probably. Yeah. There's there's a certain point, right? You know where. So why didn't Nintendo copyright a three dimensional uh, or patent the the, the three dimensional freaking goggles? They'd be sitting on bank right now if they'd done that. They probably patented their own technology for doing it, but you can't mm. patent the actual thing, right? Like if somebody comes out at it at a different way, like the the idea of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, you're correct with that. Yeah, like 3D glasses, right? Like, you can't patent 3D glasses. And just stereoscopic 3D is probably unpatentable. Yeah, it's... uh, The Viewmaster is probably patented with its particular manufacturing process. Yeah, Like, like the the, the process to make it is patentable. Mm -hmm. Actually, I have this right in front of me, too. Um, A patent protects the functional expression of an idea. Not the idea itself. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you're correct. They wouldn't be able to copyright, uh, like, a 3D goggle, but they would be able to copyright this particular uh, um, type or this particular construction or presentation of a 3D view, Are they, do, which is now out of date, so no one cares. Does uh, Is Nintendo getting into virtual reality at all? Because I know, I mean, obviously Sony is. Um I will say that when the Wii came out, they should have made some moves into some form of virtual reality because they had that guy. I'm, I I always bring this up whenever I get the chance. That guy who put together the uh, he swapped the the sensor bar on the Wii. Oh yeah. On his head, and he had a head tracking thing on the Wii. It was amazing, and it just pisses me off every time I think about it that no one tried to capitalize on that. That was there was so much missed potential in the Wii because it just became. So much easier to appeal to casual players, and I have no problem with casual players. I do not use that as a diminishing or uh, 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 belittling term. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got no problem with them, but the fact that 
no one took the time to try to cultivate an experience that elevated the platform or elevated the experience of those casual users or if those if there were people who did they got drowned out by the people who didn't and you know i'm a big fan of the work that satoru iwata did but i think allowing on some level allowing that to happen might have been even a bigger failing than naming the wii u as the wii u He still managed to get some success out of it, despite that name. Yeah, Nintendo doesn't exactly give up on their ideas easy unless they're just never going to go anywhere. I mean, they, the the 3DS struggled for a while, and they were able to turn that around. Yeah, they've they've got a, definitely got a uh, a track record of kind of nailing that thing, like doing that thing and just sticking with it. And they've got the fans that are kind of that are that definitely want to go along for the ride. I think. They, they're true believers. How did we get to this topic? Uh, talking about virtual reality and platforms. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know about you, but uh, I've I've also had different points where I've had to look at something, to, uh, you know, a test pass where I was looking over something to to pay attention to, uh, you know, trademarking stuff, to trademarking copyright, uh, various things in different places. Um, it. Uh, uh, and I actually think that the um, the trademark process can be one of the more important things, actually, because especially if you're t- going to talk about the um, casual stuff and you're going to get into more, you know, you can kind of call it shady or unregulated gaming, you know, browser gaming or uh, low-end PC gaming where people just like homebrew something and release it, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of room there for people to make a work-alike and to start swiping stuff and uh, uh, branding it as though it exists as something else. Mm -hmm. And that that might even be one of the reasons that uh, King had the reasoning where they went into the whole saga thing. Because... They do have a lot of games that it may not be too hard to make a work alike yeah. or look alike. Yeah. And they needed something high profile. I mean, going after one of those, it'd be like Dantooine is far too remote to make an effective demonstration, so we're gonna blow up Alderaan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean but, right, there's it goes back to that idea of, you know, what actually is a patent versus what is something that is uh a brand that you can actually hold on to like you can't you can't say well i made a first person shooter and so like doom is going to go out just suing everybody you know it's like it, it just doesn't work that way and so many times when it comes to games a lot of these smaller game companies make games you know to learn how to make mm-hmm. games better. If you make a good game, chances are very good it's going to get copied by somebody just because they feel like they could do Look at Flappy Bird, right? Flappy Bird, that guy was making so much money off of Flappy Bird. And then you saw Flappy everything. Yeah. <laughs> because it, it did, everyone was like, oh, that's really simple. I can do that, and maybe and, I can make some money off of it. And then they, they there was a whole lot of stuff that was almost exactly like Flappy Bird, but they tried to put in other free-to-play mechanics or other stuff. They, they tried to put twists for them to monetize it differently. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of turned into there, there, there became... 
this ties into to the the legal protection because in video games there's a whole lot of fast follow. Mm-hmm. If something is successful, a lot of people want to copy it. Yep. They want they they see like this is successful. If we do the same thing, it'll be successful too. That's why there was an MMO boom mm-hmm. and a bust because it got oversaturated and a, and MMOs are very expensive and very difficult to do. Yeah. Um, and they rely on having a critical mass of audience. Oh yeah. And so, you know, there it wasn't a case of make it and release it and you'll get the money coming in. There were some, somewhere, someone wrongly thought, and I don't know how pervasive this was. A lot of them may have have thought, well, well, it won't apply to us. And someone somewhere thought that, oh, if we just make an MMO and release it, we'll be printing money. Mm -hmm. Because they were looking at, you know, World of Warcraft and not... Uh, the 20 or 30 that were struggling. Right. And, you know, we see similar stuff with free-to-play, although free-to-play games don't tend to have as enormous an initial investment. There's so much fast follow in the industry that it's a little bit difficult to tell when something is a like a fad or a new genre emerging. Mm. Like, mm. are all of these games Clash of Clans clones? Or is this a new kind of asymmetrical MMO RTS city builder battle game that's emerging? Flappy Bird, on the other hand, there was a lot of fast follow that was so similar to it. And then we got stuff like uh, uh, Crossy Road. Yep, yeah. Or and, and then that got scaled up with, going back to licensing, you slap Pac-Man on it. You, you, the same guy who made Crossy Road made Pac-Man 256. Yeah. Uh, with uh, working with Namco, who own the license. So, I mean, that's an official licensed product. Yeah, I think that, I don't remember, you know, who said it or exactly how it was said, but the whole idea that there are no new ideas, it's all been done before. When you're talking about making movies, telling stories, it's kind of that way with video games too, to a certain extent. Um, You know, there are different versions, there are different styles of games that are out there. They all seem to play off of a couple of you know similar similar things, and you get like these big genres that come in and fall out of favor. And then you know styles specifically, like you're talking about, is this actually a genre or is it uh, just a style of game that's popular right now? You can you know eight bit JRPGs you know becoming popular on mobile because the platform was more limited at the time, and mm-hmm. then it just kind of respawned a love for those type of games. And now you can find those things on everything because people find them easier to make and cheaper to make than having to do a whole 3D rig. And boom, there you go. They're back in the mix again. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's like, yeah, these things come out of favor. They comes and goes. It's like fashion. Sometimes these games are what's hot and sometimes they're what's not. It's, uh, there's, uh, I, that actually gives me a couple of thoughts. One, you could say entertainment is a little bit like Mexican food. Uh, like, we know everything that's going into it. It's all the same stuff. It's just kind of arranged in a different order. Yeah. <laughs> but this but one's also, got avocados in it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this one, this one has the tortilla on the bottom. And this one has the tortilla wrapped around it. And this one has a tortilla wrapped around it, but with sauce on top. And this one has two tortillas, and you put everything in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> and this one doesn't have a tortilla at all. <laughs> what? Wait, does that's it? not Mexican? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but also, you know, 
you, you can say that to a certain extent you can you can take any story or form of entertainment and boil it down to a point where that kind of story has been told before but it's got different trappings um it's it's of a different time it's presented in a way that's of a different time and it it brings to my mind uh one of my favorite it's it's actually a line from uh, sun tzu that the orthodox and the unorthodox mutually produce each other so it's inexhaustible you're going to have trends something's going to be popular and something else is going to fall out of maybe out of favor or out of popularity or out of the limelight and then you're going to have something that someone goes back and says you know if it if it was worthwhile in the first place someone will go back and say hey this you know pixel art style this turn-based rpg these things have value and so someone makes something and it starts catching people's attention because it's now unorthodox and interesting mm-hmm. and then you start getting a wave there and uh those are those might be kind of the two forces that happen a lot in video games in particular as we're talking about it but uh, to some extent pop culture in general where we're we're always trying to mix things together in a different way to make something innovative but at the core there's going to be that uh, uh, sort of orthodox unorthodox uh, swirl yeah. going on yeah everybody wants to be leading edge not bleeding edge right yeah bleeding edge is where you hurt that's where you invest stuff and then lose everything yeah that's 3ds right <laughs> yeah or I don't know. We could probably go into other things that you and I have worked on that turned out to be bleeding edge when we didn't want it to be. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah. All right. So I think we've uh, mined this vein of uh, topic as as deep as we can go. It's uh, it's getting a little thin here. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, you know, fun conversation. Had some good insights. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to? a note on this topic dave uh i mean nothing specific it's just whenever you get into legalities of things it's always going to be interesting just i think it's one of the reasons why people become lawyers is because you know the law is there but there's always room for interpretation (laughs) (laughs) the orthodox and the unorthodox again there we go it's going to be interesting that's actually why i one of the reasons i stay in video games is because it's always changing (laughs) the technology is always changing there's always going to be something to learn and always something interesting happening the 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 ground keeps moving under your feet and while it can be annoying and exhausting it's not dull yeah exactly it's always fun (laughs) well sometimes more fun than other or or fun in heavy quotation marks (laughs) games we are fun in quotation marks (laughs) (laughs) oh that oh my god that should be a uh that should be it. So, Sony's new tagline. There it is. Sony, <laughs> we're fun in quotes. <laughs> yes, and it written out like that. Not not even the quotes in the text. It's like <laughs> we are fun in quotation marks. <laughs> I got to get you to record that as one of uh, one of the intros. <laughs> Video games, they're fun in quotation marks. <laughs> ah, so since. This is your first time on the show, mm-hmm. as is the burgeoning tradition of this young show. If you would like to share with us some interesting story of your experiences, some amusing anecdote. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I actually wanted to share with you uh, my favorite bug of all time. This uh, 
it's I did not write this bug. Uh, one of my good friends who happened to be a really good uh, tester uh, wrote this bug. But back in the day, uh, he was working on the first Sims game. And uh, he had actually created a bug where he, when your Sim leaves for work in the morning and then he goes away, then he'll come back later in the day and just go back into the house. So my friend decided that he was going to create a massive maze in from the front door to the place where the car picks up the sim. So he made the maze. <laughs> oh, I love creative destructive testing. <laughs> he made a maze that was so massive that the sim would still be leaving for work and he would come back from work. <laughs> there were two of them? So there were two sims walking around. <laughs> this is the type of things that that qa had to you know we would do all the time i can't count the number of times that we would write up a bug and some developer would just go completely crazy angry because (laughs) it's something that was way off the wall and they're like nobody is gonna do that it's like hey man we're just trying to do our jobs (laughs) (laughs) love stories like that. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds so... Because, guess what? If your game is popular, people are going to do that. Oh, yeah. Have you ever heard of Mr. Bones' Wild Ride? <laughs> no. <laughs> this is um someone... I think it was Roller Coaster Tycoon 2. Someone took uh, uh, the entire plot of land and made this very slow... Uh, uh, like a wild mouse type roller coaster that just consumed the entire park. Uh huh. <laughs> and so it took like months of game time <laughs> for it to run its course. <laughs> and so you you'd bring up the little menu that had the people's thoughts of. <laughs> of what they were thinking at the time and all of them were just like I want to get off Mr. Pone's wild ride I want to get off Mr. Pone's wild ride I want to get off Mr. Pone's wild ride <laughs> <laughs> limit testing man that's awesome I love it <laughs> Jesus I mean, and that's that's also why I love spending time in QA because sometimes you just be like wait you did what? Yeah, exactly. And it did what? Yeah, exactly, yeah. It's that's that's the great thing is when you get that game where somebody does something off the wall and it does something that even the developers are like, really? <laughs> <laughs> or, or being being the person who has <laughs> you have to play it, you know, eight, ten, twelve hours a day constantly for for you know those big console releases where you're just working on it for months yeah and you get so good at it yeah you can't help but get good at it and, and he's like a developer asks you to show him something and you're just like walking through capping people in the head without looking on a if it's a shooter game or something you're like jesus how are you that good at it i thought i was good at it because i made it but not, well no i'm the one who has to do it all the time yeah yep Players tend to be that way too, right? They're always better than the people making the game. I'm always blown away by, oh yeah, how good the people get at these freaking games. Yeah, like speedrunners and oh, yeah. stuff like that. And and that's the other thing. It's like no matter how crazy, no matter how much time is spent, no matter how many wild things QA does, the amount of effort that QA puts into a game is 
immediately dwarfed yeah by the time that users put into it it's like by the time by the time the game's been out for a week there's probably been you know maybe a hundred times as much uh out as many hours put in the game by the public than there was by qa and development there they've probably already found weird stuff oh yeah q q qa can't find everything oh my god we gotta we gotta do another uh we gotta have a, a behind the line radio that's just qa stories oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> get like you and marco and dj and and even greg on here <laughs> just be like just all the weird crap we found. <laughs> oh, I got to do that. I'll have to look for it. Uh, but unfortunately, I know that it's not going to be next week. I have a few things in mind for next week. So, um, you know, thank you, Dave, for joining me this week. No problem. My pleasure. Yep. Hope to have you back. And uh, to all of you out there listening, thanks for joining us. Uh, look for the next Behind the Line article next week. And join us for the next Behind the Line radio two weeks from now. Thanks for coming. See y'all next time. After we recorded this episode, a whole lot more stuff seems to have happened. One very interesting thing is that the Fine Brothers tried to copyright React. When news of this got out, a whole lot of people got very upset, not too surprisingly. In response to everyone being so upset, the Fine Brothers put out another announcement trying to explain their position. One of the problems was in their original announcement and in their attempt to explain, they did a very, very bad job of explaining the whole thing they were trying to do. Not only that, in their explanation video, they actually seemed very upset that anyone was confused about this or thought they might be doing something shady. With all that in mind, I would say that I have no reason to doubt that they had decent intentions, but there's another video I found while looking into this that explains in pretty good detail how this could be very easily abused. It's by Folding Ideas and called Minnesota React World. I'll include the link to this video in the description of this podcast. The short of the idea is that the Fine Brothers were trying to position themselves as having some great franchise opportunity for content creators to also be making React videos. Of course, as we discussed a lot here, React is a rather generic term. Also, because this would be very open to the public, the concept is pretty ripe for abuse in the sense of instead of franchising and helping out content creators, it's more along the lines of they would be crowdsourcing content generation and skimming off the top. But the interesting news with YouTube stuff doesn't even end there because recently a bunch of content creators on YouTube have been getting a bunch of weird strikes and takedowns apparently due to copyright claims and other strange stuff that have been getting their monetization stopped. The Nostalgia Critic talked about this a few days ago. Some have been able to get their stuff back, but if it's a continuing issue, it's just terrible. But it also shows how difficult it can be to manage intellectual property rights in a technically advanced system like YouTube. But it's even worse because so much of the enforcement on YouTube is automated. And if something were to happen like the Fine Brothers being able to enforce 
ownership of the term React or anything like that, it'd be pretty awful. But the Fine Brothers wound up giving up on their entire idea there and seem to realize that, uh, yeah, it is pretty rife for abuse. I hope that their intentions were as noble as they present them to be, but none of us can ever know for sure. And to cap it all off, one other small weird thing in trademark world, there's a dispute between Ubisoft and EA over the term Ghost. EA wants to trademark it because it's the name of an in-house development studio they have, whereas Ubisoft wants to enforce ownership over it in terms of video games because of Ghost Recon, and they've been using the term for a long time. So, it's all ridiculous, and it just never ends. Presented by Enthusiasts.com. For more podcasts, Let's Plays, articles, videos, reviews, and more, visit us at Enthusiasts.com. Also, send us a comment on Twitter at Enthusiasts. View us on YouTube, channel Enthusiasts, and like us on Facebook, Enthusiasts. Enthusiasts.